It's Monday the 18th of October 2021. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. My guest this week is the writer, proofreader and content creator Eglosvala Arnasdottir. Welcome to you. Thank you. Um, Reykjavik hosted the Arctic Circle Assembly last week, which was a similar, uh, sorry, which was a smaller but more significant event than usual for a variety of reasons, not least because it comes just days before COP26 in Glasgow. The gender equality issue raised its head yet again as newspaper coverage of one of the Arctic Circle attendees' visits, that is to say Denmark's foreign minister and the crown prince, totally ignored the first lady, even though she was at the front and centre of the photograph under discussion. She later took to social media using the hashtag DoWomenExist. This news coincides with the news that 19 of the 20 companies on the Icelandic Stock Exchange are run by men, and that the legally mandated 40% female ratio on company boards is not even nearly being reached today. One of the most prominent voices for gender equality in Iceland is arguably Prime Minister Katrín Jakobsdóttir, who, a new poll has revealed, enjoys nearly 58% support from the public to carry on in her role, despite her party receiving closer to 10% of the vote. Voters in all bar two parties want her to carry on as PM. Coalition negotiations continue. Iceland's population has risen again and now stands at around 375,000 as property prices soar and 25% of renters spend more than half their total income on rent. But population is far from the only factor of affecting rent and property prices, with interest rates and inflation steadily in the news again as the national and global economy readjusts following covid And talking of the C word, um, it seems very likely there will be further relaxation of anti-contagion measures at the end of this week, though it is not yet clear what that will entail. With heavy precipitation, that's a good word, in North and East Iceland, a new report on the longer-term future predicts that mudslides, the likes of which struck Seydisfjörður last December, will become more common and that 11 towns need re-evaluation and potential protection from the uh, from the unstable mountainsides above them. And finally, the long-awaited Eurovision Museum has opened in Husavik, the latest in a string of song contest-related headlines as the town continues to benefit from its starring role in last year's Will Ferrell blockbuster. Where would you like to begin? Um, well, Eurovision. That was a good start. <laughs> We're about as far in the year away from the Eurovision Song Contest as we can be, because it's in May time. I guess we are. But there's already been discussion about which songs will be uh, entered mm-hmm. to the next competition. So I guess it's always on people's minds. Husavik, they took, uh, like I say, the starring role in that film, also starring Will Ferrell. Um, are they cashing in on this or is it is it cynical or is it just to be expected? What, what's your take on it for the town's perspective? Well, it would be a little silly not to. I mean... It's um, it, the town was already popular because of whale watching, especially. It's a beautiful town and has a lot to offer. It's also on the Diamond Circle, a tourist route in the north. And this is just yet another um, issue that they can highlight as an attraction for Eurovision fans. Um, and I mean, the the film. It just flattered the, the town, I thought. I mean, it didn't make fun of it, mm. really. Maybe just in a 
in a friendly kind of way. So um, my impression is that they're really proud. And also the song that was nominated for an Oscar, that they had a girls' choir from the town um, perform with the singer mm. uh, and that beautiful video. Was it Emily Sante? Is that who it was? Um, a Swedish singer. I should double check, but I think that might have been. <laughs> yeah. Please do. <laughs> but it was a beautiful song. Yeah. And um, I've heard from a friend of mine whose daughter was in the choir that they were really proud of that. And going forward, I mean, a film's influence doesn't last forever. It will it will lose its significance. But um, that's not to say it's a bad idea to have a Eurovision museum in Husavik. I mean, for a start, the the Phallological Museum, the Penis Museum, mm. started there, and now it's one of That's Iceland's true. biggest attractions. <laughs> I guess it's uh, the town of quirky museums, maybe. Um, yeah, no, I think it's a great idea because you know Eurovision is a phenomenon, and um, Iceland's history in Eurovision is interesting to people who are interested in Eurovision in the first place. So I, I think it's definitely uh, caters to. Uh, a certain type of tourists. Mm, absolutely. I still can't find it. <laughs> um, carry on. No. <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, maybe about that. Um, maybe there's not a lot more to say about that, but it's good for Husavik and something I would probably go to visit. So Yeah, definitely. Mm. A new attraction for uh, an already attractive town. Molly Santen. That's exactly, it yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> And on that note, let's move on. Um, what would you like to talk about next? Um, well, the big party, that was the Arctic Circle conference, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, the idea behind this is, is good. But certain issues have been raised around the whole concept of bringing people somewhere by plane to discuss climate change and the environment. <laughs> um, but maybe that's a small issue. If, if real action real things are taking place there then then it's probably a worthwhile trade-off the question is what's the what's your impression of this um well i think it's very important that uh, the small nations in the arctic that they have a platform and that they join forces and that they make they make their voices heard because um it all boils down to their interests are they being respected when they open the new sailing route and uh, when the ice melts and like in Greenland that they want to open more mines. And mm. so it's it's really important that um, the small nations, um, that they are aware of the issues that are important to their interests and that they really take a stand on what they want and how they can benefit and how the environment can be spared as much as possible. Mm. I mean, it, it's more than, it's not just an echo chamber for the Arctic nations, though. It's, it's has been certainly a, a properly international conference, um, bringing people from China and America and Japan all over the world. Mm -hmm. Less so this year because the pandemic still, but there was 1,300 people from more than 50 countries. So it's 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 a big event um, and all the more significant this year because it comes right before the Glasgow summit, which is the biggest event. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And um, 
and I hope that the environmental uh, environmental concerns that are raised at the Arctic Circle conference that um, or the Arctic regions conference will uh, also be discussed at the summit and um, that perhaps um, issues important issues that were raised there that they will also um, will be among the more important issues discussed at the summit and taken seriously. Mm. I mean, the Arctic region is kind of the centre of the climate change argument in many ways, or discussion, I should say. Um, and so it would kind of make sense that this, that it is taken seriously and, and taken forward there. Um, certainly one of the main guests at the Assembly this week was uh, Nicola Sturgeon, who, the First Minister of Scotland, which is, of course, where the summit will be hosted mm -hmm. so i think that was directly related mm -hmm. yeah um the arctic circle assembly is the brainchild of oliver ragnar grimson it was something that he was setting up and putting in place and building on when he was still president and it seems to be very much core to his i don't know his his, his work calendar should we say uh now and he wants it to continue um mm -hmm. how how much is it connected to him personally and how much has it taken on a life of its own in your opinion well hard to say i mean he's still very much involved which is impressive i mean he's i don't know how old he is but <laughs> he he could retire if he wanted to but this is certainly something that he is passionate about um but um, i think it's also it has become an independent thing from him i mean there he um, helped um, establish it and turn it into what it is today. Um, but he's still still very much involved and and seems happy to that it's taken taking place again. You know, and as an actual conference mm. in the real world. <laughs> quite funny the uh, the ads for the conference that the big party was going to be held, and everyone was welcome. Perfect, yeah. Um, so, talking of Olavar, he, he said during the conference, during the assembly, that he thinks it's very positive that Iceland has set itself up as the location where people come together every year to discuss Arctic issues. Um, and that, 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 that does seem to be some value to that, doesn't there? Because it, it is an annual conference. It's kind of a reliable mm, theatre, if you are, a reliable place for this discussion to go forward. So mm -hmm. from that point of view, hopefully it continues for many, many years. Yes, definitely. I mean, it's uh, it's um, important for Iceland to be seen and heard. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has a history of being a place where um, people convene to discuss important issues. Um, I mean, it's conveniently located between um, North America and Europe. Mm. So it makes sense, and of course, it's financially beneficial for Iceland as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, changing course slightly. Um, one of the big themes this week seems to have been gender equality, um, and it was even mentioned by Prime Minister Katrín Jakobsdóttir during her opening speech to that very assembly um, on Wednesday or Thursday. So, she is really pushing for this, and has been throughout. It's one of her core principles and that of her party why are we not doing better um 
when 19 out of 20 companies are run by men on the stock exchange and how this this 40% limit for women on boards of major companies and that was there for is it 10 years now is it that long it's, i don't know it's been a while at least <laughs> and it's not working it's not working so um why is that mm. that's the big question <laughs> that's the million million dollar question um i don't know are men um intentionally keeping women out um i don't know or are there not enough women applying for these positions i mean there are a lot of qualified women for sure there are a lot of um women leaders um who should serve as role models to other women who want to be involved in you know running companies so i really don't know the answer to that but um it's important to find out mm. there must be presumably in the law there are some penalties for not adhering to it um do you have any information do you know at all if if any of those fines i presume are ever being implemented um i don't know i haven't heard no. about it doesn't seem uh, that likely does it but i also wonder if the case is that there aren't enough women applying if that wouldn't be entirely fair <laughs> yeah good point i mean you can't force equality and i think it has to happen you know naturally so you know encouraging women to apply for these positions and um make themselves seen and heard and uh they're and respected um i don't know maybe it's it's the culture of these companies that's um not appealing or or maybe you know intentionally or unintentionally women are kept out i i just don't know the answer i'm i think it's really strange and um that the situation is like this but and it does seem to be business is the main problem there because other areas for example politics mm-hmm. it's a lot better yes a lot better it's almost you know equal the ratio of female and male parliamentarians um so it seems strange maybe it's related to the workload and the pressure of these positions mm. although i'll think famously hard place to work and 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 not a always friendly environment no definitely not but i don't know <laughs> i really don't know the answer maybe um politics um has a longer uh, history of gender equality mm. and do you know if anything is actively being done about this because it's all very well having this law in place but if mm. it's not working or not being adhered to what can be done to make it work well um as i said before encouragement you know female role models it's really important just to um report the situation and um that women business leaders step forward and and talk about um their jobs and their duties and encourage other women to apply and and then of course it has to be monitored closely mm-hmm. you know are there enough fem- female applicants uh, are they um being evaluated uh, fairly um 
are they are men being favored over women? I mean, this it needs to be investigated. Mm. And maybe make it not something to be ashamed of, but something to be like, oh, we're not doing well enough here. Maybe this is what we could do. Or have an agency that can help companies instead of just pointing the finger and saying you're not doing well enough. Yes, exactly. Oh. Okay. Um, shall we talk about Catherine? Sure. Since we're sort of on this topic a little bit anyway. Um, pretty remarkable that she's so well-liked, considering that most of those people that want her to stay prime minister didn't necessarily vote for her party, and that voters of most, almost all the other parties do want her. What's she doing right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess... I guess the, it's as simple as that, that people generally like and trust her and certainly uh, would choose her above the other uh, uh, party leaders. Um, but voters uh, aren't convinced about all of her party's policies. Mm. And uh, I mean, this is, I think, this political system, it's so restricting it's impossible to vote for people mm. alone. You have to vote for parties and all of the people in that party and their agendas. So it's it's really hard to know what to do. I mean, I've I voted for Katrin or her party uh, without agreeing with uh, a lot of issues that her party stand for, but because I really respect her as a leader and I wanted her to lead. Um, and I think a lot of people, given the choice, would have voted her directly, mm. separately from her party, and um, and I think it's it's time to uh, revolutionize the system so that you can really just pick the people that you would like to see in parliament, and not necessarily vote the parties, mm. or maybe abandon the party system. And just uh, have people. Yeah. Mm. That. I'm not saying that's a good good idea or a bad <laughs> idea, but it would make the voting system even more complicated. And that kind of links in with the ongoing controversy <laughs> around the counting uh, from last time. We yeah. still don't quite know if the election result is going to stand. It probably is. It's uh, it's bizarre, um, this system. No one understands it, apart from the people who are responsible for it, I hope. But, you know, that's... Um, that um, one of the jurisdictions was a few um, uh, electorates were a few uh, votes short means that, you know, parliamentarians that were already elected elsewhere drop mm. out. It's just, it seems bizarre yeah, and really is. unfair. <laughs> it needs explanation at the very least. It's, yeah, yeah I, I know that people have tried to explain the system, but it's just so complicated. Mm. So maybe it's time for a new system. But the the vote count in the Northwest is still being investigated and looked into. Um, what are the options on the table there? I mean, it's probably not going to lead to another election, but it could do. That would be interesting. Wouldn't it? <laughs> um, if it did. I don't know what the best scenario is. I mean, um, I would think that a recount everywhere would be in order. Mm. I mean, if it really is... That's important. One vote, one way or the other, that it could mean could mean that um, I don't know another 
another ride on the merry-go-round <laughs> that more MPs drop out and others are back in. I don't know. I it's... mean, it would be great news stuff, but possibly a, a one step too far in, the, <laughs> in what's the Maybe. comfortable stakes. Yeah. Maybe. And meanwhile, um, we don't have a new government. So it's... Uh... Yeah, because they say that their negotiations are going quite well to continue the same three-party coalition, mm-hmm. but they're not going to announce anything until the vote is mm-hmm. 100% sure. And that's going to be a couple of weeks at least, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Two or three weeks. So it's a, we're in a bit of a limbo. Yeah. And in the meantime, the old government carries on, mm-hmm. which could be the same as the new ones. So. <laughs> <laughs> it probably won't be that much of a change, but, but we don't know. Mm. And what's interesting as well, from that point of view, is that we've got all these, nearly half of the House is new MPs, 20-odd, mm. 25, I think it was, um, and they're not going to get to sit in Parliament until November. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a long sitting around waiting period, isn't it? I hope they make good use of the time. <laughs> yeah. By doing what? Well, reading up on um, parliamentary yeah. <laughs> procedures and, uh, and the issues that uh, are up for discussion and... Yeah, do their homework, basically. Absolutely. Do their homework and be the best politicians they can be. Um, Okay, there's several topics that we haven't discussed yet. Anyone standing out for you particularly? Um, Let's see. Do you remember what they are? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I should. You emailed them to me. Um, Let's see. Um, The First Lady. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, do women exist? It's kind of a little bit like the question we were just asking about yeah. business. Um, but so uh, First Lady Eliza Reid was pictured on the front page, I think it was, of a prominent newspaper, Morgenbladet, shaking hands with the Crown Prince of Denmark, Frederick. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wasn't mentioned in the article, which was just about the prince, the president, the Danish and Icelandic foreign ministers and someone else who wasn't even in the picture. Mm. All men. Yes, I mean, that's definitely worth pointing out. And uh, it's a fair question. Do women exist? Um, uh, it's a good point. Um, and there have been other cases like this. Um, so why wasn't she mentioned? I mean, she co-hosted that dinner mm. and she was there welcoming welcoming in um the crown prince so definitely she should have been mentioned um, as being involved in that whole affair and it can be a sort of a cultural thing because obviously you mentioned this and everyone says oh yes of course silly <clears throat> oops little mistake mm-hmm. but it does seem to happen again and again and see women described as and his wife mm-hmm. it does happen far too often and um, and uh, I guess this is more one of the more ser- serious <laughs> instances. Uh, but it also raises the question, I think, of the First Lady's role. Because, you know, she doesn't have an official role. She doesn't get paid, but she's kind of expected to participate in events like these. Mm. Um, I mean, the Crown Prince didn't came, come to see her, that's true. He came to see the President because he was in office. Um, so I think... Um, this is something that Icelanders should think about. Do we want uh, the president's partner to have um, a special position 
and get paid for that? Mm. And um, if not, would we be okay with them not appearing publicly and not taking part in uh, events like these? It's, you're right. That's a much, much bigger question. Mm -hmm. And then there's the issue of maybe having a single president without a partner. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, that's fine under law, but it's yeah, and, and, uh, unusual in international politics. Yeah, like with this, um, she was single Mm. And uh, there were never any questions raised, I think. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, something we need to consider. And if we do expect the president's partner to have a role, um, then he or she should get paid. That's only fair. It's a lot of work. Um, but at the same time, it's the president that's elected. We don't elect the president's partner, mm. even though they participate in the campaign. So what do we do? Do we elect a presidential couple? It's, and, and their children and pets. All right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, no, to be fair, no, the children are not in the spotlight at all. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's an interesting question mm. um, and a wider one. But the core of the story itself was that she was in the middle of this photograph. Mm -hmm. She was the and, subject of this photograph. And, and totally and, ignored. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, and Eliza is the first, arguably, you could say, the first f first, first lady um, to ask these questions so openly. It has been this kind of unwritten rule that the, the role of first lady is is this and that. And she's come in and said, well, no, I'm I'm a career woman myself. Um, mm. I wasn't elected. And as you say, this is not a paid role. Um, mm. And so she has brought that conversation into the media. Um, mm -hmm. And it's been a good one to have. Yes, definitely. And um, I, I guess this is kind of a new role in Iceland because, um, well, it, it kind of started with uh, Dorit Musayev, Olav Ragnar's wife. Um, I mean, she appeared a lot in public and uh, she... Um, participated in events. Um, I don't know if it was out of her own initiative, but she kind of um, started this thing, the first lady having a role. Uh, before Olaf Ragnar, it was Vigdis, who didn't have a partner. Um, and, well, before her, it was just uh, the presidents had wives, but they were kind of just, just housewives. <laughs> mm. But they would presumably accompany the president to banquets and, and international visits and things, um, would they? On, on very rare occasions, yes. Mm. Uh, I actually looked into this and uh, there was no tradition for the president's wife to have a role until uh, Dorit Musayev appeared, Ola Ragnar's former wife. Um, she did appear with him, especially during the campaign, but then she fell ill, so she, um, it, was, it wasn't as um, apparent mm. as after Dorit Musayev um, came into the picture. Um, and I think maybe um, this is more of a foreign tradition and uh, and that she kind of brought foreign traditions with her to the role. Mm. Yeah, interesting point there as well. Two foreign-born uh, first ladies in a row. Mm. So they will have brought certain international perspectives with them, I assume. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily that either of them had a particularly strong view of what first lady meant when they first moved to Iceland, but uh, yeah, hmm. interesting. Okay, um, that seems like it might be a good moment to stop.
the time runs out very quickly these days, as ever. Um, especially because the studio seems to be filling with diesel fumes for some reason. <laughs> no. I'm sure it's nothing to worry about. Um, the Week in Iceland will be back with you again next week, Monday the 25th of October on roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook through the Roof app and your favourite podcast platform. That just leaves me to thank my guest today, Eglo Svala Arnasdottir. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you. And also Lydia Gretasdottir for running the studio. Now, as the Arctic Circle Assembly this year had a particular focus on Greenland, I think it's a good opportunity to share a song by one of my favourite Greenlandic bands, Nanuk. Um, this, excuse my pronunciation, is Inuin Nakavit. Bye for now.